Uh, she was about to close up when all of a sudden a man rushed in, running in, and he said, hey, my wife's birthday is tomorrow. I almost forgot about it. I need to get her something. Do you guys have anything? And she pulled out a $100 bottle of perfume. And he said, no, 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 that, that's, that's way too expensive. And so she reached under the counter and pulled out a $50 bottle of perfume. He said, I, 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 I need something cheaper than that. So she kind of looked around the store and found a $25 bottle of perfume. He said, no, 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 I, I need cheaper than that. And, and finally, she found a little tiny bottle of $10 perfume, if there was such a thing. And he looked at her and said, I don't think you get it. I want to see something cheap. And so she reached under the counter, pulled out a mirror, and said, how about you take a look in there? Well, sometimes we need to take a look at ourselves, not only individually, but we need to take a corporate look at the church as we enter a series, uh, part two of a series called My Bad Church Experience. If you've ever had any hangups with the church, any frustrations with the church, you're going to love this series. And uh, we, we did one last week, we're doing one today, and one next week. As well. If you have your Bibles, open it up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let me give you a little bit of an introduction to the book of John. There were how many original disciples? Does anybody know how many original disciples there were? Dose? That meant 12. Cinco de Mayo, so I'm throwing out my amazing knowledge. There were 12 original disciples. But here's the deal with the 12 original disciples. As time went on and the church began to grow, each one of them began to pass away, most of them being martyred because of their faith. Matthew, we believe, was burned at the stake. The apostle Paul, who was an apostle in a, in a later due time, we believe that he was beheaded. Um, you go to Peter, he was crucified, actually crucified upside down. And you go to each one of them, they were dying at a young age, except for one. One disciple ended up getting to live to be an old man, and his name was John. And about 60 to 65 years after the life of Christ, all of a sudden, the only person that's left is this apostle named John. He's the only one that walked with Jesus for those three and a half years. And people were just, John, your teaching is amazing. Your, uh, your imagery of Jesus is amazing. Your preaching is amazing. Everything you say about him is amazing. There's nobody left. Will you write some of this stuff down? what you know about Jesus and your experience of Jesus. And so John, at an older age, looking back six decades, wrote not only one book, the book of John that you're in your Bible right now, but also 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John toward the end of your Bible, right before Revelation. He wrote four different books and accounts about the life of Christ. And he gets to John 1, and he says, you want me to write about Jesus? You want me to tell you what I think about Jesus and what I saw in Jesus and how he navigated messy situations and how he approached people with an amazing amount of love? Do you, do you want me to write about him? Because this is going to be different than anything you've ever heard. And it was, and he begins his book with some amazing imagery. Was that the bell of the school? Oh, okay. He begins his book with some amazing imagery about Jesus. Look at verse 1, beginning with chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, he's talking about Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, again, talking about Jesus, was life, and that life was the light 
of all mankind. Wow, John, did you, I mean, we've heard that the word is important, it's living, it's, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, but did you just say Jesus is the word? Whoa. If you want a relationship with Jesus, you're gonna dive into the word of God. He is the word. They'd never heard that before. And then he moves on into the passage, and Andy Stanley puts it great whenever he gives the, uh, the metaphor of what Jesus does here. Jesus is basically a painter, and he paints a painting, and he paints different characters on his painting, and then somehow Jesus enters into his own painting. And when he goes into his own painting, the little characters that he painted did not recognize the painter. And they kicked him out of his own painting. That's what he says in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize the painter. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Wow, John, this is incredible. Jesus is the word. Jesus is like a painter who entered into his own painting and his, <laughs> the characters in his own painting kicked him out of the painting. And then he goes on to say, now let me tell you, that's who Jesus is, but let me give you the character traits of Jesus. After 60 years of thinking about it, after reflecting on who he is and me getting to walk with Jesus, let me tell you who he is. And, and, and let me introduce it this way. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, you are full of it? Well, what does it represent? Don't, don't, don't say anything. It doesn't, it's not the, we're going a bad direction there. Full of it. You're full of it, Nathan. I've had some people tell me, you're full of it, Nathan. And the it, and, and some people have went on to describe it, you are full of goofiness, or you're full of craziness, or you're full of laughter, or you're full of insanity. There's been some other things that I think I have that has ended that sentence that I don't want to repeat today. But Nathan, you are full of it. And John comes into this passage, and he says, Jesus is full of two things. He's full of it. But the it represents two things that totally changes the course of how the church looks at herself, how families operate, how individuals operate in our life. And what he tells us, the two things that Jesus is full of, what is interesting about it is, it is, it is tentious, it is contentious. We live in the tension between these two character traits of Jesus, and we try to resolve it, we try to balance it, but Jesus never, he says, do not resolve this tension. Just live in the tension. But whenever we try to resolve the tension of who Jesus is, we mess everything up. And some of your bad church experiences is because churches have tried to resolve the tension of who Jesus is. And here's what John says in verse 14. Incredible word usage. The word who is Jesus became flesh. He entered into his own painting and made his dwelling among us. That is the original language, that is actually saying that Jesus camped out with us. He's camping out with us. He did that for 33 years. Jesus camped out with us. We have seen his glory. Now, nobody ever heard this. This is, John's just, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You want me to write about Jesus? I'm gonna write 21 chapters. It's gonna be a long book, but let me just start with this. You wanna know who Jesus is? He's full of it. He's full of two things. He put his pedal to the metal on grace, and he put the pedal to the metal on truth. And those seem like two opposite, uh, opposite, opposite extremes, 
and we try to resolve it. How do you live with truth, uh, truth and how do you live with grace? How do you live in between those? And so we try to resolve it. We try to balance it out, but there's tension there. And Jesus never said to resolve the tension, but Jesus lived full of grace, full of truth. Grace is when somebody says it's okay. Truth is when somebody says you're accountable. Grace is when somebody says, I love you anyways. Truth says there's gonna be consequences to this. Grace says, hang in there. Truth says, get your act together. And Jesus didn't waver on either grace or truth. Everybody in the room today, you, me, we all lean one way or the other. You are a little more grace-oriented, or you are a little bit more truth-oriented, and probably it has to do with your past experiences or what kind of house you were raised in or if you were raised in the church, what kind of church you were raised in or the environment around you. It could be all kinds of different circumstances, but all of us here today, we either lean toward grace or we lean toward truth. And, and here's the deal. If, if you grew up in a home with two parents, one of them was probably grace and the other one was probably not grace. And which one was your favorite? the grace one. And by the way, if you grew up in a home like that, it was a good thing if you had a dose of both, grace and truth. And then he goes on in verse 16 and 17. John says this, out of his fullness, we have all received, look at this, John, this is incredible. I'm so glad you wrote this down. Grace in place of grace, grace in place of grace, already given, and what that is saying is, you have, I have, we have no idea how much grace we are living in right now. We're going to get to heaven, and we are going to be blown away by how much grace God has put into our lives. Aren't you grateful for that? We're living in the midst of grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, and then he says it again, the tension, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He does not say grace and truth was represented through Jesus Christ. He does not say that grace and truth, we had a good visual through Jesus Christ. He says grace and truth, actually grace came through Jesus. Truth came through Jesus. He is the epitome of both grace and truth. And you say, well, prove it. How did he do it? I want to see how he did it. Well, you can go to John chapter 4. You don't have to go there in your Bibles. I'm not going to read any of it. But in John chapter 4, Jesus comes across uh, at a well, a woman from Samaria. She's there all by herself, and they just start up a nice little conversation. There's grace. Jewish men didn't talk to women like that. They certainly didn't talk to Samaritan women. And who is this guy giving me the time of day? That's grace. And they start to talk. He says, can I, have some, uh, can I borrow your jar for some water down in the well? There's more grace. You're asking me for help? There's grace. And while they're having a good conversation, Jesus pulls this out of his bag. He says, hey, do you mind going back to town? I'd love to meet your husband. Uh, and Jesus dives into the most shameful, hurtful area of her life. And she says, well, I'm not married. And Jesus said, I know. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now, you're not married to. Whoa, 
what happened to grace? All of a sudden, Jesus went to truth, and he looks at her and doesn't, doesn't sidestep the truth, and then all of a sudden looks at her and says, and by the way, just so you know, the guy you're talking with right now, and he reveals something to her that he had yet to reveal to anybody on planet Earth, and he reveals it first to a woman from Samaria, whoo, grace. He says, you are standing toe-to-toe with the Messiah of God. You are standing toe-to-toe with the Son of the living God. I'll just push pause, let you all read that, see what's going on. (laughs) Amber Alert, doggone it. Those are the ones who, Bob, it's always your fault, man. Okay. Jesus Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman and said, you're talking to uh, to the Messiah, and by the way, I can give you water that will quench your thirst, the thirst you have in your soul for the rest of your life in a way that no man could ever, could ever quench that thirst in your soul. And she runs away and goes back into town and tells everybody in which she has no credibility with probably, she goes back and tells everybody, I have just met the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah of God. Wow, grace and truth. Jesus invites Matthew, the tax collector, uh, into his group. Tax collectors were lower than sinners. Whatever the lowest of low is in today's world in the United States of America, think of human traffickers. I can't think of anybody lower than that, right? Human traffickers. That's where tax collectors were. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus, you can't let that guy in our group, nobody's going to take us seriously if you let a tax collector into our group. And Jesus looks at them, and by the way, there's grace. Jesus looks at them and says, oh, you think your reputation's about to go down the tube now. We're about to go to his house for a party, and he's going to invite the mafia and all of his gangster friends on over. Wait till everybody talks about you after that party in about 10 hours. The disciples are like, what are you doing? You can't invite him into our group. There's grace. And then Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus, and he looks at the disciples and says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to find sinners, not righteous. I did not come to guard my reputation. Oh yeah, we're not here to guard our reputation. There's truth. You go to the cross, it wasn't just Jesus on the cross. Who else was on the cross? There were two other men on either side of Jesus, criminals. We call them thieves. I don't think the scriptures actually ever say that they were thieves, by the way. But there are two criminals that deserve death on both sides of Jesus, and one man pipes up and says to Jesus, he said, hey, dude, we deserve to be here. This guy over here, Jesus, he, he's not deserving, but us two, we're deserving. And Jesus doesn't pipe in and say, oh, you're not that bad of a guy. No, Jesus like, yeah, yeah. You guys deserve this. There's truth. And then he looks at one of the criminals and says, just by the way, just so you know, when I breathe my last and you breathe your last, we're going to the same place. Grace. Truth. And grace, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, going to the same place. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And everybody listening is thinking, Are you, what, what is going on here? You, a guy just asked you to go to heaven like a couple weeks ago, and you said, if you don't sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you can't in, 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 enter the kingdom of heaven. And this guy's getting in at the last second with one more minute left in overtime. Grace and truth. And then maybe the most famous in John chapter 8, there's a woman who was caught in adultery, and the religious leaders bring him 
to Jesus and they say, well, this lady deserves death. She deserves to be stoned. That's according to the law of Moses. What do you say, Jesus? And what does Jesus say? You know what? You're right. She does deserve death. There's truth. But then she looks at those guys, or or he looks at those guys, and he says, I tell you what, any of you who have never committed adultery in your heart, any of you who have never lusted after a woman, any of you who have a perfect sexual history, any of you who have never sinned, I tell you what, you can pick up the first stone. And you can throw that first stone. There's grace. And they all drop their stones. And they all walk away. And then he leans down and he looks at her. They don't condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Grace. But then he says, now go leave your life of sin. Truth. Which one is it? Is it, neither do I condemn you, or is it, go leave your life of sin? Yes. It's both. And so, John, you want me to, to describe Jesus after 65 years of thinking about who Jesus is and reflecting on Jesus? I'll tell you this. I'll just start with this. He doesn't start with baby Jesus. He doesn't start with Jesus in a manger. He says, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Amazing. Now, here's, here's how it plays out. When we try to resolve this and we try to balance it, families are torn apart. We see it all the time. Somebody in a family offends somebody else in the family or somebody in the family does something else to somebody else in the family and the family has a decision to make. Are we going to do truth or are we going to do grace? Either way, you lose. You don't pick one or the other. And so if the family says, well, I think we just we need to forgive them. We, need to, we just need to forgive. And so we're going to stand over here on grace. But in the meantime, there's no truth. And so the victim of the sin, the victim of the person that did those things, he or she is sitting over there saying, are you not going to say anything to him? Seriously. He just did this to me. He did it five times. You're not going to tell the truth? I mean, forgiveness, that's good, and there's scriptures for forgiveness, but you're not going to tell the truth, and all of a sudden you have a family that, ah, we're very forgiving, but we don't ever call out anything, and that victim, let me just tell you, if you're that victim, and if you've ever been in that position, you just start to pull away from that family, because it's an unsafe place. That's how you feel. Or, if the family comes over here and says, we're gonna, we're gonna, you, you're right, we're going to call him out. And so we're going to call him out, and we're going to, but there's no grace and all of a sudden, this, well, you messed up in this family, you're out. This is an unconditional love. This is conditional love. You ever screw up in this family, you can see sayonara. And either way. And so, fam- and so what families do, well, grace didn't work. We'll try truth. Well, truth didn't work. We'll go back to grace. And all of a sudden, you have this teeter-totter, and you just have explosions in families because we're trying to resolve something that was never meant to be resolved. It happens in churches. If you've had a bad church experience, it very likely could be you had a leadership or you had a congregation or you had a person in the church who was trying to resolve grace and truth when in fact Jesus has called us to do both. And sometimes a church needs to stand up and tell the truth with grace. And sometimes a church needs to give grace and tell the truth. I say sometimes, all the time. 
But what happens is there's a victim in the congregation. Somebody did something to somebody in the congregation, and the church says, we're going to forgive him. We're going to forgive her. But there's no truth ever given, and the victim feels hurt all over again. When you live full of grace and full of truth, you grow. We grow. Watch this. Ephesians 4, verse 15 says, we, everybody say we, that's us, will speak the truth in love. What happens when you speak the truth in love? Next word, growing. You grow in every way more and more like Christ. It doesn't say speak the truth. It says speak the truth in love. And it doesn't say just talk with love. No, it says speak the truth in love. And when you do that, and our church does that, we grow spiritually more and more like Jesus Christ. Truth with all of its pain, grace with all of its healing put together, that is powerful. Grace with all of its healing, truth with all all of its pain, it's powerful. So let me give you a mathematical equation because we all came to church today to do some math. Yeah, right. Grace plus truth equals love. It's not love if you don't tell the truth. It's not. It's not love to go up to somebody who's in the middle of a drug addiction and say, hey, hang in there. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not going to be okay if you don't get off the drugs. If you love somebody, you will say the truth with grace, with love. And it is not loving to just tell the truth without forgiveness behind it and without love and grace and mercy behind it. When you have grace and you have truth, you have Jesus. You have love. And Jesus is the epitome of love. Incredible. He's full of it. And we're sitting here trying to balance it and trying to, uh, trying to resolve the tension. Pedal to the metal on grace. Pedal to the metal on truth. John says, you want me to, after 60 years of reflecting, let me just tell you who Jesus is. Full of grace, full of truth. And when you live that way, you grow. Now, here's, here's the deal. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you look at what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you look at what he did. And here's what he did. Jesus called sin, sin. And then he paid for it. Jesus called sin, sin. And then he paid for it. And if you do it again, he pays for it again. And if you do it again, he'll call it sin again. And he will still love you. And if you are drowning in sin today or in addiction today or in a struggle today or in a trial or tribulation today, he is going to call it out. And he is still going to love you. And if you are in a situation that you feel like you cannot get out of, and maybe your environment or maybe something happened to you whenever you were a kid or a young adult, and you are just messed up now because of it, and you don't see any way out of that darkness, Jesus comes along and he says, I still love you. And if you have something on your record that you don't want anybody in here to know about, because it is so bad you think we would just turn our face against you, He said, man, I hope they never find out because it is just that bad. God is sitting here saying to you, I still love 
you. Neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin, full of grace, full of truth. Grace plus truth equals love. I'll tell you a story as Doug comes up to play, and then we'll close out in prayer. Tony Campolo. Anybody ever heard the name Tony Campolo? One. My wife. Okay, this is going to go well. He was a sociologist in eastern Pennsylvania in uh, Philadelphia, but also a preacher. So he'd travel around preaching to different churches, different conferences. And he was speaking in Honolulu, Hawaii. Sometimes the Lord just sends you to some tough places. And he, was, he had sent Tony Campolo to Hawaii. And because of the time difference, I mean, eastern Pennsylvania, eastern time, Hawaii, not eastern time, don't know what time that is, something like seven hours behind or something, five, six, seven hours behind. He, his timetable was all messed up, so he's getting up at three o'clock in the morning, and he's wanting breakfast. He can't sleep, so he, he walks down a dark street and a dark alley, and the only place that's open is this grungy place. Uh, he walks in, there's a guy behind the counter, heavy set, named Harry, he's unkept. He's like, Harry, do you have a donut or something? And Harry sneezed into his hand, and he picked out a donut out of the, and handed it to Tony, and this is great, this is wonderful. As he's eating his donut, drinking his black coffee, uh, nine prostitutes come in to the diner. And four of them sit on his right, and five of them sit on his left. And there's this preacher at 3.30 in the morning, surrounded by nine prostitutes in downtown Honolulu, Hawaii. And he said, I felt a little uptight. (laughs) And he was just listening to him talk, and there was one of them who said to another one, hey, just... Tomorrow's my birthday. And then her friend said, what do you want us to do? Throw you a birthday party? Buy you a cake? And the lady said, hey, why you got to be so mean? Just wanted to let you know it's my birthday tomorrow. I've never had a birthday party before. I don't expect one now that I'm turning 39. I've never had a a birthday cake before. I don't expect one now. Just wanted to tell you. That's all. They talked for a little while longer. They left to dive in. And uh, Tony looks at Harry and said, hey, I got an idea. Are you okay if I throw her, that girl, a birthday party tomorrow? Do, do, do they come in every night? I said, yes, yeah, same, same time every night, 3.30. When they're done with their work, they come in every night, 3.30. That girl's name was Agnes. Harry calls out to his wife in the back, hey, honey, you're not going to believe this. This guy wants to throw Agnes a birthday party. And his wife says, that is awesome because Agnes is such a great gal, always trying to help others. Nobody ever helps her. This is incredible. So Tony Campolo tells Harry, hey, I tell you what, I'll get all the decorations. I'll get here early tomorrow morning, 2.30. I'll decorate the place. I'll take care of the birthday cake. Harry said, no, I got the birthday cake. Tony's like, oh, okay, all right. right." Well, he wasn't going to argue with him. Next morning comes, and Tony Campolo gets the whole place decorated. It looks incredible. Harry's got his birthday cake ready. 3.30 comes. And 50 to 60 prostitutes from Honolulu, Hawaii show up. Harry had called the city, all of them, let them know. They'd all piled in. They were ready for the party. And a few minutes later, Agnes and her best friend walk in, and everybody stands up and yells, Happy birthday. And Agnes just starts crying. And she walks up, and Harry said, We got a birthday cake for you. And Agnes, and she just loses it. I've never had a birthday cake. 
And Harry, not knowing what to do when a prostitute is crying, he's never seen that before, so he's like, well, cut the cake. Good grief, cut this out, cut the cake. And uh, Agnes said, I don't want to cut the cake. They, they, they put candles on the cake, and Harry said, can you blow out the candles? Can you blow out the candles? And uh, Agnes couldn't get the breath. She was crying so hard, she couldn't get the breath. And so Harry blew it out for her. (laughs) Tony just looked at him. What is wrong with you? And Agnes looked at Harry, looked at Tony, said, do I have to cut the cake tonight? Can Can I just look at it for a little while? Never had a cake before. Tony said, you bet, it's your cake. We don't have to eat it right now. She said, can I walk down the street about two blocks? My mom lives down there. I want to show her the birthday cake. I'll be right back, I promise. Everybody said, you bet. So Agnes took that cake very carefully. She walked out of that dive, and she went down to show her mom. And now all that's left is this preacher surrounded by about 60 prostitutes in this this, uh, joint. And Tony didn't know what to do. So he said, how about we all bow our heads and pray? He says, looking back on it now, that was a weird thing to do. (laughs) But it just seemed like the right thing to do. And he sat there, and everybody held hands and prayed for Agnes that God would give her strength, that God would show her that he loves her, and that God would show up in her life in a big way, and that God would be good to her. There's truth. Agnes came back. They had a great time. As everybody left, Harry went over to Tony and said, hey, you didn't tell me you're a preacher. Tony said, yeah, I preach. Preach at a lot of churches. Harry said, what kind of church do you belong to? And one of those moments that rarely happens to any of us, Tony Campolo came up with just the right words. He said, I'm a part of a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu, Hawaii. And Harry said, no, you're not. Because if you were, I would be a part of a church like that. And there it is. Grace plus truth equals love. And that cannot be turned down. When we look at the amazing love of our Heavenly Father that we remember around the communion tables and we sing about every Sunday, that is the love that captures us. And when we as a church, just so you know, when we as a church, we try to balance it out, not too much grace, not too much truth, and we try to resolve it, we ruin what God has brought for us.